here. It's a good feeling. If you would join with me today, our passage is 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. And would you just uh, follow along as I read that for us today? For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Join me in prayer quick. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for an opportunity today to dig into your word. We thank you so much for the life of Paul and the words that uh, uh, he spoke here to Timothy this morning. Father, we just ask that you would use your word to um, touch our hearts, to challenge us where we need to go, and draw us closer to a centered life that is focused on you. Father, be with me as I share this morning. Help me to get out of the way. And would you uh, touch the hearts of those who need to hear this message today? In Jesus' name, amen. As we get started today, I wanted to, uh, our title, Finishing Well, I wanted us to look at the five individuals, and I'd like you to do just this. What do these people have in common? Many of you may know uh, this individual. This is Scott Norwood. Norwood is remembered for missing a 47-yard field goal at the end of Super Bowl 25 against the New York Giants, which was the first in four consecutive Super Bowl losses for the Buffalo Bills. Some of you may know this, Amelia Earhart. Earhart was the first female pilot to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean during an attempt to make circumnavigational flight of the globe in 1937. Earhart disappeared over the over Central Pacific Ocean. In the recent news, you would have seen this guy, Aaron Hernandez. On August 27, 2012, the Patriots signed Hernandez to a five-year extension that included a $12.5 million signing bonus, the largest signing bonus ever given to an NFL tight end. The New England Patriots released Aaron Hernandez on June 26, 2013, shortly after police officers arrested him at his home in connection with a shooting death. All right, in our history as a country, Richard Nixon was the 37th president of the United States, serving from 1969 to 1974. He resigned in the face of almost certain impeachment and removal from office following the Watergate scandal. And finally, Gary Anderson. Some of you weren't born yet, but this is a great memory for many of us. In 1998, Anderson signed with the Minnesota Vikings and converted all 35 of his attempted field goals and all 59 extra points in regular season play, becoming the first place kicker to finish the regular season with a 100% success rate on both field goals and extra points. His only miss of the season came in a playoff game against the Atlanta Falcons, where he missed a kick, allowing the Falcons to tie and eventually win in overtime, sending them to Super Bowl 33. What do all these people have in common? Because I'm, man, I'm used to student ministry, I'm waiting for shout outs, but <laughs> man, I'm gonna enjoy this lecture time today. Um, they are famous for failures. Uh, fortunately, most of us in this room are not famous enough for our failures to be broadcast for all to see. Today we are looking at the life of Paul. Paul had great failures in his life, but following his encounter with Jesus, Paul committed his life to serving Christ. 
He turned his life around and finished well. Today we're looking into some of Paul's final words as he anticipated his earthly death and looked forward to what was to come. Today we will see what it means to finish well. People who finish well see their lives as offerings. Paul writes in verse 6, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Through God's word, we see what expectations he has for us. As we dig into this passage, let's take a look at God's expectations, and then let's examine Paul's life in response to these expectations. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38, Jesus is replying to the Pharisees when they ask, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Again, in Luke 14 here, Jesus states in regards to our expe- God's expectation for us, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. When I read a passage like that, they can sound like harsh verses. Does God really want me to hate my family? The answer is no. What he is saying is, weigh the cost of living your life as my follower. I don't want a half commitment. Being my disciple is a full commitment. Nothing should take priority over me. God is number one. Did Paul live his life in this view? You bet he did. In his letter to the church in Philippi, to Philippi uh, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, Paul declares this truth by saying, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Along with God wanting us to make him number one in our lives, he wants us to understand that living for him is worth the cost and is also a joy for us. In a couple parables Jesus shares, quoted in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, he makes these points very clear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now let's look again at Paul's life. In today's passage, Paul shares that he saw his life as an offering to God. For he states, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. In the Old Testament, we get a brief description of what a drink offering looked like. In Exodus 29, 41, and Leviticus 23, 10 through 14, we see God instructing the Israelites to use the drink offering as part of their daily sacrifices and as part of their sacrifice during uh, festivals like first fruits. These drink offerings were poured over the burning sacrifice of meat and grain, which were a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I like J. Vernon McGee's uh, insight on this from his Through the Bible commentary. He states, The wine was taken and poured over the sacrifice, 
which of course was really hot because it was on a blazing altar and fire underneath it. You know exactly what would happen. The drink offering would go up in steam. It would just evaporate and disappear. This is exactly what Paul is saying here. I have just poured out my life as a drink offering on the sacrifice of Christ. Paul's life would, would soon disappear and all that could be seen was Christ. In addition to this, I like the words from uh, theologian Dr. Charles Ryrie when he explains that the drink offering consisted of about two pints of unmixed wine, which was poured on the grain offering as a symbol of joy. Paul knew what he was saying when he stated that he was being poured out like a drink offering. He was making reference not only to his whole life being an offering for God, but that that offering was given in joy. Even though trials of many kinds, even through trials of many kinds, and even the prospect of his own death, he saw his life as a joy and as an act of worship. He states this in other places as well. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, he longs for us as fellow believers to understand this for ourselves. He states, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And in Philippians 1, 20 through 21, he states, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do these verses describe your desire for God today? I recently heard a speaker by the name of uh, Dr. Larry Lindquist uh, share about living a life that matters. As he shared, he referenced the book Not a Fan by Kyle Eidelman. In that book, the author uh, references the Knights of Templar. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Knights of Templar came into order around the year 1129. They were among the most skilled fighting units uh, of the Crusades during the Middle Ages. In the book, the author Kyle Eidelman states, I was reading about a strange baptism practice that was allowed by the church when the Knights of Templar would be baptized. When the church would baptize one of the knights, they would be baptized with the sword with them. They would be baptized with the sword, but they wouldn't take that sword underwater with them. Instead, they would hold their swords up out of the water while the rest of them the rest of their body was immersed. It was the knight's way of saying to Jesus, you can have control of me, but you cannot have this. Jesus, I'm all yours, but who I am and what I do on the battlefield, how I use this sword, that's not part of the deal. The author goes on to say, if that was still the practice today, we might not hold up a sword, but my guess is that many would hold up a wallet, some might hold up a remote control. They might hold up their laptop. Whatever it is, in our lives, there is something that is holding, is there something that is holding you back from giving everything to follow Jesus Christ? What is that thing? What is holding you back if something is? On April 20th, 1999, during the Columbine High School massacre, a 17-year-old named Rachel Scott was shot outside the building. After shooting her, the shooter went into the building for a little bit and then later came back outside. The shooter came outside, 
grabbed Rachel Scott by the neck, pulled her head up and asked, do you still believe in your Jesus? He turned her over and he shot her again multiple times. We know the story because the boy lying next to Rachel didn't die. He was fake playing dead. An entry in Rachel's diary stated, If I have to go to school every single day to stand up for my best friend, Jesus Christ, and I lose all my friends, he is worth it. Rachel Scott had found her treasure and knew its worth. She was willing to lose what she had to gain Christ. People that finish well see their lives as offerings. Have you given everything to God as an offering? If not, what is holding you back from giving everything to follow him? My second point today, people who finish well stay the course through difficulty. Paul continues with verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In the Zondervan NIV commentary, scholars feel that this verse is best understood as Paul speaking in a sense of athletics. This being said, the editors of this commentary paraphrase the verse to be understood as, I have competed well in the athletic contest of life. I have finished the race, I have kept the rules, not fouled out, and so been disqualified from winning. In an article titled Going for Gold, A History of Olympic Controversies, posted in November 2009, it included uh, this statement. Arguably the most famous Olympic controversy involved Roman Emperor Nero in the games of AD 67. Not only did Nero bribe Olympic officials to postpone the games by two years, he bribed his way to seven or several Olympic laurels. Most notably, he competed in the uh, chariot races with a 10-horse team, only to be thrown from his chariot. While he did not finish the race, he was still proclaimed the winner on the grounds that he would have won had he completed the race. <laughs> so, although Emperor Nero did not finish the race, a laurel wreath was still placed on his head as the victor. Based on the estimated year of Paul's death, some have come to believe that Paul's statements here to Timothy were very intentional. Well-known biblical speaker and curriculum writer Beth Moore is one of them. In her woman's study, uh, To Live is Christ, she argues, Paul wasn't just putting a word, pulling a word picture out of his hat. Anyone in the Roman Empire would know exactly what he was talking about. I wouldn't be the least surprised if these words spread and ultimately hastened his, Paul's, death. Her argument is based on historical accounts from the Olympic Games held in AD 67. Also, biblical scholars believe Paul's letter to Timothy was written in AD 67, the same year as Paul's execution and these games. If the timing did line up in regards to Paul's writing of these letters and these events, Paul would have been making a bold statement. This is not the only place we hear Nero's name in, in history. Um, he made quite a name for himself. As emperor in Rome from AD 54 to AD 68, his reign also included the persecution of Christians. In AD, 65, uh, AD 64, a fire broke out in Rome that lasted many days. When this happened, it was rumored that Emperor Nero was the cause, so he could rebuild the city the way he wanted. 
Nero didn't like this, so he shifted the blame onto a new group of people, the Christians. In his book, Paul, Living for the Call of Christ, Gene Getz references uh, Tacitus, a reliable Roman historian with a description of the events that followed Nero's blame of the Christians. Tacitus states, execution was made a matter of sport. Some were sewn up in the skins of wild beasts and savaged to death by dogs. Others were fastened to crosses as living torches to serve as lights when daylight faded. Nero made his gardens available for the show and held games in the circus, mingling with the crowds and standing in his chariot and charioteer's uniform. Getz states following Tacitus's quote, if Paul were rearrested during this sobering period in Christian history, he would definitely have been charged as a prominent leader of this new sect, Christianity. Along with the difficult circumstances that came with Nero's empire, Paul shared with us a brief overview of suffering he endured over the course of life in service to Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 11:23 through 28 states, and you can follow along with me, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Despite everything that took place in Paul's life, he kept the rules, he finished the race, and he kept the faith. The term the faith is referring to the truth we believe about God and his saving work through Jesus Christ. Even through tremendous difficulty, Paul kept his eyes on Christ. He did not change or preach a gospel different from the true gospel of Christ as the Messiah, crucified and risen. When, he lived by, when we live by faith, we are given an outward expression of our faith. It is a witness to the reality that we are accepted through Jesus Christ. We live it out by loving fellow believers and bearing witness to the world that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Paul kept the faith, and we are called to do the same. These were difficult times that Paul lived in, which are hard for us to imagine when you look at the descriptions he gave us. Paul stays the course and trusted in God despite great opposition. I don't know all your sufferings today, but when I look at Paul's life, I am humbled. Paul's a great example for us all. No matter what comes our way, when we live for God, we can find joy. We serve a great God, and God wants us to hold on to him. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, God promises us that if we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lead not on our own understanding, if we acknowledge him, he will make our paths straight. And that's exactly what he did for Paul. People who finish well stay the course through difficulty. Our faith will be tested. We suffer on our journey. Looking back, how have you seen God be faithful through your sufferings?
And are you trusting him today as you go through hard times? Paul was encountered by the risen Lord around the age of 33. For over 40 years, he lived his life for Christ. Actually, for about 30 years, he lived his life for Christ while he anticipated Jesus' promised return. In that time period, he gave his life as an offering to God while staying the course through much difficulty. How was he able to do this? He kept his eye on the prize. People who finish well keep their eyes on the prize. Now we see Paul shifting from looking back at his life in this last passage to looking forward. He states, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Anytime I visit Crystal's family, my wife, on the East Coast, uh, we end up doing some kind of touristy thing. Regardless of the activity, we will be walking along and realize that my father-in-law is a considerable distance away from us, ahead of us. He's on his own path, in his own world. When I think of Paul, I think of Paul kind of in this way. His eyes are on the prize, moving straight ahead, getting where he needs to go, and getting there as quick as possible. Nothing holding him back. Paul had his eye on Christ, and the reward that came with that longing was the crown of righteousness. Paul spoke of this crown in 1 Corinthians 9.25 as well. He states, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul had earned his crown... And he was excited to receive it. For him, life was a race, death was the finish line for that race, and eternity with Christ was the prize. What's cool is that we get to run the race as well. We, all those who have put our trust in Jesus and now await his return, have the opportunity to live our lives for him in the circumstances that he's placed us in. When Paul's referring to the righteous judge, rewarding him on that day and not only to himself, but also to those who have longed for his appearing, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. At the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord will judge the lives of all believers. We see this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5 when Paul states, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of man's hearts. At this time, each will receive praise from God. This judgment is for the purpose of rewards, as shown in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we, the believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And finally, our judgment will be based on works and rewardings only. For as believers... That is the promise God gives us. There's no condemnation. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 states, If any man builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because that day will bring it to light. It will be revealed in fire, or with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss, 
but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This passage makes it clear that the judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you are saved. The judgment is weighing the fruit or the works that you did as a follower of Jesus. So what are you investing your life in? Are you living in light of eternity? When you're looking back on your life, what would you like to be able to say about your faith, about the way you lived? God is calling us to follow him, no matter the cost. That doesn't mean the travels will be without difficulties. Keep your eyes on the prize. Let me close with this. During a game on Monday of Monday Night Football, between the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants, one of the announcers observed that Walter Payton, the Bears running back, had accumulated over nine miles in career rushing yardage. The other announcer remarked, yeah, and that's with someone knocking him down every 4.6 yards. Walter Payton, one of the most successful running backs to ever play the game of football, knew that everyone, even the best, gets knocked down. The key to finishing well is to get up and run again just as hard. In the race of life, we must continue to run toward the finish line no matter what knocks us down. The ultimate prize is waiting for us as we cross the finish line. If you join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for this example from Timothy's life. Father, my prayer for everyone in this room, for myself, is that you would build in us a desire to serve you and serve you only, to make you number one. No matter what comes our way, whatever the difficulties that we have ahead of us, would you bring us through it? Would you help us to persevere and to desire you only? But Father, give us a heart of joy. Your Holy Spirit works through us and we get great joy from serving you. Father, that's what we desire today, that we would just keep our eyes focused on you and that our voyage would be a joy no matter what comes. God, we give you glory this morning and lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?